Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Interactions, a podcast about law and religion and how they interact in the world around us. It's Monday, November 22nd, and today we're going to be discussing French secularism and its targeting of Muslim communities. In his Canopy Forum article, The Quran, Islamic Veiling, and Laïcité, French Law and Islamophobia, Dr. James McBride traces a series of French statutes that claim to be religiously neutral, but in fact marginalize the Islamic community in France, especially in regards to public schools. Is French laïcité truly neutral? And where did the debate over the wearing of the headscarf in French public schools originate, considering that many Muslim women see veil-wearing as a free and personal choice? All this and more on today's episode of Interactions. I'm Janet Metzger, and this is The Quran, Islamic Veiling, and Laïcité, French Law and Islamophobia by James McBride. This past summer, the French National Assembly and Senate passed the so-called anti-separatism bill signed into law by Emmanuel Macron. Its purpose was supposedly to protect what is called laïcité, the French secularist doctrine designed to ensure government neutrality toward religion. However, the new law increases scrutiny by the government of religious associations— bars homeschooling except in some non-religious instances, forbids political meetings at houses of worship, bans polygamy, virginity certificates, the burkini, and other practices which allegedly discriminate against women, and protects government officials who investigate and prosecute the newly instituted crime of separatism. This anti-separatism legislation is not neutral in basis. Instead, it was the culmination of a three-decade-long political campaign by a hostile nativist French populace to marginalize Muslim communities. The policy was first formalized in 2003 with a statute that banned students from wearing religious symbols in French public schools. Proponents of this statute argued that the ban applies to all religions, equally prohibiting the Sikh Patka, Jewish Kippah, and large Christian crosses, as well as the hijab worn by Muslim female children and teenagers. In reality, however, this legislation specifically targeted the Muslim community. Case in point, The campaign was intensified in 2010 by the statutory prohibition of any article of clothing which concealed the face. Islamic veiling takes many forms. The hijab, the niqab, the almira, the shayla, the kimar, the chador, and the burqa. Islamic veiling finds its origins in the Quranic passage, chapter 33, verse 53, which is as follows. O ye who believe, enter not the prophet's houses until leave is given you for a meal, and then not so early as to wait for its preparation. But when ye are invited, enter, and when ye have taken your meal, 
disperse without seeking familiar talk. Such behavior annoys the Prophet. He is ashamed to dismiss you, but Allah is not ashamed to tell you the truth. And when ye ask his ladies for anything ye want, ask them from before a screen. That makes for greater purity for your hearts and for theirs. Nor is it right for you that ye should annoy Allah's messenger, or that ye should marry his widows after him at any time. Truly such a thing is in Allah's sight an enormity. In this passage, male believers visiting the Prophet's home overstay their welcome to the detriment of his wives, concubines, and daughters. The Quran orders these men to desist from uninvited visits and, at those times when they are invited, to speak to the Prophet's women only from behind a screen, in Arabic, hijab, to protect their chastity. It is noteworthy that the text itself does not identify the hijab as a headscarf. It is also noteworthy that the text does not require Muslim women in general to wear them. Following a practice common in Byzantine culture with which the Muslim community had contact, wearing some sort of veiling protected women from unwanted male attention. The practice slowly spread from the Prophet's family to women in the larger Muslim community to discourage impious advances by men. This development follows the Islamic imperative of modesty, commanded by the Quranic passage, chapter 24, verse 31, and say to the believing women that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty, that they should not display their beauty and ornaments except what must ordinarily appear thereof that they should draw their veils over their bosoms and not display their beauty except to their husbands, their fathers, their husbands' fathers, their sons, their husbands' sons, their brothers' or their brothers' sons, or their sisters' sons, or their women, or the slaves whom their right hands possess, or male servants free of physical needs, or small children who have no sense of the shame of sex. This verse directs all Muslim women to cover their bodies, particularly what the French call la gorge, or the throat, but does not specify covering their heads or faces. Believers commonly interpret this passage as a reference to a jibab, a loose garment worn over the trunk of the body. A number of prominent Islamic scholars have not found veiling religiously obligatory, but in practice, veiling became more widespread after the 1979 Shiite revolution in Iran, where most women wear the chador. Likewise, the increasing influence of the Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamists in countries with large Sunni populations, including Syria and Iraq under the Daesh, resulted in the increasingly common appearance of the niqab or burqa. While the modern movement toward veiling was spearheaded by conservatives, many young Muslim women have appropriated veiling, particularly in Western cultures, as a sign of religious identity and cultural pride. That is certainly the case in France, where Muslims number 7.2% of the population. As the authors of The Headscarf and the Republic write, what these cases, which led to several girls being expelled from schools in Mantes, 
Lille, Strasbourg, or Goussainville have contributed to revealing is that, in reality, oftentimes the headscarf is not imposed by the families, but is the result of a free choice, and it is not lived as a submission, but rather as a self-affirmation. If many Muslim women see the headscarf as their personal choice, where did the debate over the wearing of the headscarf in French public schools originate? In 1989, three students were expelled from a French middle school during the bicentennial celebration of the French Revolution for failure to remove their headscarves when requested by school authorities. In a case which would come to be known as the Foulard Affair, the French Conseil d'État recommended that students not be permitted to wear ostentatious signs of religious affiliation, which would constitute an act of pressure, provocation, proselytism, or propaganda. In short, would cause disruption in the school. Over the next 13 years, the headscarf controversy would wax and wane. But in 2002, the newly established Conseil Français du Culte Musulman issued a statement rejecting the claim that the headscarf itself was an act of proselytization. In 2003, the Conseil d'État appointed a commission led by Bernard Stassi to reconsider state policy on secularism and public schools. This commission included academics, a headmaster, a lawyer, two politicians, and a former Ministry of Education bureaucrat. But it did not include any theologians, clerics, or delegates from religious institutions. The so-called Stasi Commission issued its report on December 11, 2003, concluding that, Instances of behavior and conduct that run counter to the principle of secularism are on the increase, particularly in public society. The reasons for the deterioration in this situation are the difficulties in integrating experienced by those who have arrived in France during the past decades. In this context, it is natural that many of our fellow citizens demand the restoration of Republican authority, and especially in schools. It is with these threats in mind, and in the light of the values of our Republic, that we have formulated the proposals set out in this report for the school community. The visibility of a religious sign is perceived by many as contrary to the role of school, which should remain a neutral forum and a place where the development of critical faculties is encouraged. It also infringes the principles and values that schools are there to teach, in particular, equality between men and women. The Stasi report purportedly upheld the principle of laicity as embodied in the 1905 French Law Concerning Separation of the Churches and the State. There, the text of Article I reads, The Republic ensures freedom of conscience. It guarantees the free exercise of religion, subject to the sole restrictions enacted hereafter in the interest of public order. Although the recommendations of the Stasi report violated the spirit of the statute's language, 
the very existence of this report suggested that a ban on signs of religious affiliation in public schools was somehow a valid exception to the law's guarantee of the free exercise of religion. The French legislature followed the Stasi Commission report with another statute codifying its recommendation. This statute found that, in schools, colleges, and public high schools, the wearing of signs or dress by which pupils overtly manifest a religious affiliation is prohibited. Arguably, this statute violated Article I of the French Constitution of 1958, where it is written that France shall be an indivisible, secular, democratic, and social republic. It shall ensure the equality of all citizens before the law, without distinction of origin, race, or religion. It shall respect all beliefs. But to challenge the constitutionality of this statute would require an appeal before its promulgation by the President of the Republic, the Prime Minister, the President of the National Assembly, or 60 deputies or 60 senators. What's more, the statute had the support of the Chirac government, and its opponents could not muster sufficient votes to mount a constitutional challenge which, in any case, would first have to be referred to the Conseil Constitutionnel by the Conseil d'État, the very authors of the Stasi Commission report. We'll be right back after the break. Hi, Interactions listeners. This is Justin Ladderoff from the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University. If you like this episode, you might be interested in John Witte's new book, The Blessings of Liberty, Human Rights and Religious Freedom in the Western Legal Tradition. This book explores the role that religion has played in the formation of rights in the Western legal tradition. Today, some religious critics of human rights see human rights as a betrayal of Christianity while other critics see religious freedom as a threat to human rights. John Witte responds to both of these challenges and insists that protecting religious freedom is actually the best way to protect many other fundamental rights, despite the fact that religious freedom and other fundamental rights can sometimes clash. Are human rights a modern invention, and is religious freedom a mere obstacle to human rights today? Explore these questions and more with John Witte in The Blessings of Liberty, new from Cambridge University Press. Find out more by clicking the link in the episode description. Thank you for listening to Interactions. By January of 2005, the French Minister of Education reported that 47 students had been expelled from French public schools. Later that year, the March 15 Freedom Committee, a French Muslim organization, noted that over 800 French students had been adversely affected by the statute, 
resulting in their expulsion from the French public schools, the removal of religious headgear, or their voluntary withdrawal from the French public school system. In 2010, the French government took the next step in defense of its version of laïcité by passing a law which prohibited covering the face in public spaces. The statute did not give gendarmes the power to incarcerate individuals for violations of this law, but it did give the government the power to levy a fine. More importantly, the statute proscribed any individual, through threats, duress, or constraint, undue influence or misuse of authority, from compelling another, by reason of sex, to conceal their face. The violator, if found guilty, would be subject to one year's imprisonment and a fine of 30,000 euros. If the person so compelled were a minor, the punishment increased to two years' imprisonment and a 60,000 euros fine. The statute was clearly aimed at Muslim parents who required their daughters to wear a niqab or burqa. Indeed, the statute stated that the ban did not apply to face masks for EMT workers, doctors, and nurses, to riot gear for police, to headgear for lacrosse and fencing, to ski masks for vacationers, nor to theater masks for Mardi Gras and street carnivals. In short, the only individuals affected were Muslim females. The Islamophobia of the French government and dominant political parties has resulted in various absurdities. One Muslim entrepreneur developed a beach outfit for observant Muslim women so that they can enjoy the water without violating their religious conscience. Dubbed the burkini by French observers, the costume, which looks remarkably like a wetsuit worn by surfers and divers, was banned in numerous towns on the Côte d'Azur and Corsica, resulting in the issuance of summonses by French police to Muslim women, ironically, for not wearing an outfit respecting good morals and secularism. These dubious local injunctions were legitimized by the 2021 statute, which protects local officials from violence or any action seeking to intimidate them. The law calls for a prison term of up to five years and a fine of 75,000 euro for online hate, however prosecutors might interpret it. Ostensibly, a Facebook post protesting such local ordinances could be regarded as a violation. The 2021 statute included even more draconian measures. It requires that associations, including religious organizations, register with the government and that they may be held responsible for the acts of their members and subject to dissolution. Incitement to discrimination, hatred, or violence by a minister of a religious association is punishable by up to five years in prison. Apparently, that would include encouraging practices like the wearing of headscarves that allegedly discriminate against women. Political meetings, including organizing members to vote, are also prohibited. French Muslim parents who attempt to circumvent the law governing French public schools are barred from homeschooling their children. 
Homeschooling will henceforth be permitted only in cases where circumstances adversely affect the state of health or disability of the child the practice of intensive sports or artistic activities, family homelessness, or a situation specific to a child's educational project. An undeclared school created by parents may be shut down by the government. It is clear that the headscarf itself is not the issue. If a young French woman decided to wear a headscarf to school in the chic tradition of Audrey Hepburn in the 1963 film Charade, it would not violate the statute, whereas the identical headscarf worn by a Muslim young woman out of religious devotion would violate the law. It is therefore not the wearing of the headscarf that offends. It is that the young woman is a Muslim. Of course, an observer would not be able to determine whether the wearer's intent or mens rea was religious without specifically asking the reason for her choice, unless the observer made an assumption based on the wearer's race, skin color, or language. These statutes allegedly do not discriminate against any particular religion, but rather place limitations on all religions. However, this claim is disingenuous, since discrimination against all religions, rather than just one targeted faith, arguably violates both the 1905 Laïcité Statute's guarantee of the free exercise of religion and Article I of the 1958 French Constitution. Nevertheless, Despite the claim that the ban on headscarves is incidental to the statute's supposed purpose of prohibiting all ostentatious religious signs and symbols in French public spaces and discrimination against women, their historical context reveals the true motivation, Islamophobia. That was The Quran, Islamic Veiling, and Laïcité, French Law and Islamophobia by James McBride. You can find the full article on Canopy Forum by following the link in the episode description. Canopy Forum and the Interactions podcast are distributed by the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University and produced by Anna Knudsen. I am your narrator, Janet Metzger. You can follow Canopy Forum on Twitter or Facebook and subscribe to Interactions on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.